how the New Orleans Saints can continue to revitalize their run game against the Atlanta Falcons this weekend, why P.J. Williams has made himself a very important name to watch over the offseason, and five questions ahead of the New Orleans Saints traveling to Atlanta to take on those rival Falcons. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? Welcome into this Film Watch Wednesday episode of Locked On Saints, your daily podcast covering the New Orleans Saints, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Saints your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget, we're free and available on all platforms, including on YouTube as well. And I'm your host, Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter, Canal Street Chronicles, Locked On NFL, and here with you every single Monday through Friday on Locked On Saints. And in today's episode, it is our Film Watch Wednesday. So I want to start off offensive side, then defensive side, just highlighting uh, some specific things around the New Orleans Saints performance against the Carolina Panthers and why they're important for the New Orleans Saints moving ahead, whether it be next week against the Atlanta Falcons or even the offseason, as we're going to talk about P.J. Williams here in just a little bit. And just real quick, usually we have our WWL Wednesday. We won't today because WWL folks were out covering the, uh, the the Texas Bowl for LSU and Kansas State and then LSU men's basketball, who knocked off Kentucky last night, by the way. So shout out to the women's and men's basketball teams for LSU putting on some great performances so far this season. We'll have some Locked On LSU news upcoming for you here in the next couple of weeks. But to get started with today's episode, I want to start over on the offensive side and talk about how the New Orleans Saints helped revitalize their run game in the second half and why that does give you a little bit of I guess really a game script, right? In terms of what you should look for this weekend against the Atlanta Falcons. So the Saints struggled quite a bit in the first half in the run game. Uh, No secret there, minus four rushing yards in the first half against the Carolina Panthers. And that was the Saints trying to run a lot of zone run. So we've broken this down before, but just as as kind of a refresher or reminder, when you're using the zone run scheme, everybody's kind of taking a step to the play side on the offensive line. You're blocking gaps, areas, as opposed to focusing on who's directly in front of you. Everyone has a certain assignment that can open up multiple gaps that the running back can then choose from, whether it's one outside, whether it's bending it back, or whether it's banging up the middle with the gap that you're trying to create within the offensive line. That's the zone blocking scheme versus the gap or man blocking scheme where your responsibility as an offensive lineman is to stop the guy in front of you. And if that guy is in front of you directly on the offensive line or on the second level, doesn't matter. And in some cases, you'll have some you know, blocks, right? Some, some double team blocks. I mean, you'll have guard and center uh, double teams, which are called ace blocks. You'll have guard and tackle uh, double teams, which are called duo blocks. So it just kind of depends upon at which gap that's happening. But for the man scheme, it's simple, right? Block the guy in front of you and create a gap in this gap, A gap, B gap, or C gap, wherever it is that you're hoping to be able to run. Uh, if you're trying to get around the edge, then it's a C gap. If you're trying to get between the guard and tackle, it's the B gap. If you're trying to get between the center and guard, then it's the A gap. So you're just trying to open up one of those areas on either side of, of the play. So the Saints ran a lot of the zone blocking schemes early on in the first half, but they weren't working. I mean, they were having some trouble there. And that makes sense when you have second, third string left tackles, second, third string right tackle, second string center. You're going to struggle a little bit in the zone option or the zone read because you're having to kind of pick things up and watch things develop in front of you and then make the right decision based upon that. Tough when you're not getting a lot of those reps at full game speed, right? You can practice it all you want, but actually experiencing it in game is a whole other thing. 
So what the Saints did in the second half was that they went a lot more man-blocking heavy, and that worked out really well for them. Uh, you saw a lot of those duo blocks or ace blocks in the middle opened up some gaps in the in the, the B gap for a big run for Alvin Kamara, for instance. And that big run in the fourth quarter that ended up going for 30 yards, that was full on just block the guy in front of you and make the and, and you know open up this the the gaps that you need. And what that ended up doing was setting up what the New Orleans Saints were able to do for the rest of that drive. Later on, they ran you know another inside option to him. Then you know Carolina was able to stop that. But then the couple plays later, they run a play action to him. Carolina gets uber aggressive. Brian Burns goes after Taysom Hill. Nobody walks away with Alvin Kamara, and then you basically get a walk-in touchdown on a throw to him in the flat. So it all kind of set up the touchdown and in, in, in the passing game. But it's not always the run game that sets up the passing game. Sometimes it's the other way around where the passing game can help to set up the run game. And this is another thing you can look to see the New Orleans Saints utilize up against Atlanta is going to be sort of dictating their defensive scheme, dictating their lineup on the defensive side based upon the personnel that New Orleans puts out. We talked about this a little bit on Tuesday when we were breaking down the analytics, snap counts, things like that, particularly for the pass catchers. But just to talk about it from the film perspective, we saw the New Orleans Saints put uh, guys like Juwan Johnson, Lil Jordan Humphrey out in the lineup and sort of get an idea of how the Carolina Panthers reacted to that, right? When they see 83 in the huddle, Juwan Johnson, do they go to a base package with three linebackers and four down linemen, or do they go to a nickel package where you take a linebacker off the field and you add an extra defensive back, which is a, which is a smaller body and makes that defense a little bit lighter? Well, early on in this game, Carolina was using more linebackers when Juwan Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey were out on the field. So in the second half, the Saints started putting Lil Jordan Humphrey out on the outside, which sort of even if the even if Carolina then did put out a linebacker to match up with them, which they didn't do very often in the second half, they would have had they would have been forced to play on the outside with that. So that would have ended up impacting the way that Carolina was sort of built. And then you have Deontay Harris, who was used as the third wide receiver more often in the second half. Same thing. You saw Kenny Stills a few times, not much. He only played 17 percent of snaps in this game. But when they ended up putting out three wide receivers like that, it dictated the the scheme, dictated the lineup for the Carolina Panthers, forcing them to put out a fifth defensive back as opposed to a third linebacker. So that stretched out that Carolina defense horizontally, creating more space in the middle and simply made the Carolina defense lighter and a little bit easier to handle for the offensive line and the players that are looking to block those those defenders. You're losing blocking, right? When you don't have Juwan Johnson or Lord Jordan Humphrey on the field and you go to Deontay Harris instead. But sometimes the trade-off is that you get the lighter boxes, you get the lighter defense, and that ends up working out in your favor. And so we saw the Saints utilize that a ton against the Carolina Panthers last week. I would expect that they'll utilize that more. They've done it all season. They'll utilize it more up against Atlanta as well in their defense, which is kind of all over the place and has two very talented linebackers, so you don't want to end up giving them the security blanket of another run stopper so that they can focus in certain areas, things like that. So it just sort of helps to shift the mentality of the defense based upon their availability. The last thing that the Saints did really well is that they utilized a lot of split zone runs. Now, my boy Brandon Olson over at Locked on Gators, he'll talk about split zone all day. We're going to try to do it quickly. When it comes down to split zone, it's a little bit of a combination of zone and man. You'll see them take the read step that we talked about where they have to diagnose on the offensive line what they're looking for. But the one thing that you know for sure is that the backside defender, so usually an edge rusher, on the side that the play is going away from. So if Alvin Kamara is running towards the left side, James Hurst side in this case, then Jordan Mills is not going to block the 
defender, the edge defender on the right side of the offensive line. That allows for a free release for that defender. And then what you'll do is that you'll have a tight end over on the left side of the line, just outside of James Hurst. He'll peel back behind the line of scrimmage and then make the make the block on the freed up edge defender. So we saw that quite a bit in the second half for the Saints, which is just a little bit more comfortable of a zone type because of the fact that it has a lot of man rules still in it. So we saw the Saints do that, but also pulling guards in the second half. And we saw that in the quarterback power that Taysom Hill ran on the same uh, same drive that Alvin Kamara had his long 30 yard run and the the catch and run touchdown to where Calvin Throckmorton came back from the left side, peeled into the A-gap on the right side, and was able to make a big block there. Right before that play happened, right before the snap happened for that play, Alvin Kamara goes out on a sweeping motion to the outside, which pulled one of the linebackers out of the box, or at least grabbed their attention long enough for them to be able to get the numbers advantage over on the right side, which is where Taysom Hill ended up going for, I think it was 12, 14 yards on that run. So the Saints finding a lot of creative ways to rejuvenate and put some fuel behind their their run game. And I think you're going to see a lot of those same creative approaches against Atlanta uh, on Sunday, hopefully being able to carry that into the postseason. Now, it wasn't just some creative things that were happening on the offensive side. We saw some creative things on the defensive side as well. But a lot of that came up to individual performance. And I want to highlight the individual performance of P.J. Williams who I thought while he was in the game did a lot of things great. And he's going to end up being one of those players to watch over the offseason that could be a, a big time loss or a big time return for the New Orleans Saints. So let's talk about PJ Williams and what he could potentially mean for this team this offseason. We got that coming up for you as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built.com, particularly Built Bars, best tasting protein bars on the market. It's New Year's season. That means it's New Year's resolution season. And I want to make sure Built Bar is a part of your you know, healthy eating or weight loss journey here at the beginning of the year because you're talking about delicious snacks, delicious Built Bars, protein bars that give you all the protein that you need, but give you a lot of flavor and that deliciosity we keep talking about as well. Six, seven, eight grams of protein, 130 to 150 calories, but 16, 17, 18 grams of protein in some cases with a ton of variety in terms of the different flavors that you can choose and even different sort of palettes that you might be able to take advantage of. If you're a very, you like very sweet flavors, there's guys like cookies and cream as well as like salted caramel, peanut butter brownie. But if you like fruit and chocolate, there's like strawberry and chocolate, black cherry, lots of really great flavors as well for you to check out. But don't just take my word for it. Go and try them out on your own. The best tasting protein bars available on the market over at built.com. And don't forget, use that promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, so you can get 15% off of your order over at built.com. Once again, that is 15% off with the promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. All right, Houdat Nation, continuing on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. Thanks once again for making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day. And hey, don't forget to check out that ultimate college football playoff preview 2021 that we've got up. National championship game preview is up now. The Alabama Crimson Tide up against those Georgia Bulldogs, a rematch of the SEC championship. Go and check it out to get all the information that you need around that, including all the betting advice as well from our friends over at BetQL. Just search Ultimate College Football Playoff Preview wherever you get your podcast. All right, so we talked a little bit about the offense and what the Saints can do, three different ways that the Saints can kind of continue to revitalize their, their run game over on the offensive side. For this part of Film uh, film Watch Wednesday, I don't necessarily want to focus on an area of the game on the defensive side more than I want to focus on 
a, a player. And, and that player is PJ Williams, who I think is going to end up being a very important name to watch over the course of the offseason because all of the different sort of roles that he serves. Remember, PJ Williams coming into the NFL already had an awesome tool set, right? He's got length, he's got height, he's got speed, he's physical, all of that, right? And he came from that FSU program, the Florida State program. He just had a lot going for him coming into the NFL, although things didn't really pan out for him immediately, right? He struggled as a boundary corner. You can think back to 2018, where he ended up starting on the outside, uh, and you had Calvin Ridley score three touchdowns in the first half and a series <laughs> in the second half, and then you ended up taking P.J. Williams out. But then only four games later, at home against the Minnesota Vikings, they started you know they had started using him in the slot after that game on the outside, and he ends up getting an interception, a pick six in that game to put the Saints up thirty to twenty to seal that victory against the Minnesota Vikings. And that was, you know, him guarding Stefan Diggs out of the slot. So you saw him start to kind of revitalize his career a couple of years in, in the slot, but he's done more since then, right? He's taken that tool set and he's developed a greater skill set all over the defense because of what he has available to him. The one thing that I didn't mention about his tool set is his ability as a tackler, right? He's a solid tackler. He's a very good run defender. And so that's why I ended up working for him in the slot quite a bit, because you also got that value from him, having him on the field, having him close to the line of scrimmage, close to the middle of the field where a lot of the runs are happening, where the runs are originating. And so you had those opportunities to utilize him in that way. But then as 2019, 2020 rolled along and he got a couple of those one-year deals that continue to come back and things like that, a lot of folks were asking, well, why are they bringing back PJ Williams? And it was because he was expanding that skill set to serve not only making himself better in the slot and making himself more less of a liability on the outside, but he was getting better as a safety. He was getting better as a strong safety, playing in the box, a, a covered safety deep down the field, all of those things. And I think the highlight of that moment was a few years ago in Tennessee, where the Saints didn't have Marcus Williams. They didn't have you know a strong safety there. They ended up playing basically JT Gray and, and PJ Williams for that game. And P.J. Williams did a great job there. And then so all of a sudden you see that and you're like, oh, okay, hold on. Let's see that again against the Carolina Panthers. And it worked. And then he got a new contract. And then so the contract ended up becoming not signing P.J. Williams to be a slot corner or signing him to be a boundary corner, but signing him to be the true definition of a defensive back. You can play him on the outside. He's limited the liability conversation over there quite a bit. It's still the place where he probably struggles the most, I would imagine, because he doesn't get asked to do that a lot. But we've seen him play on the outside before over the course of this uh, over the course of last season with all the injuries that the Saints were dealing with in the secondary. Then you have him playing in the slot, right, which is probably where he's much better, much preferred to have him there. But now we've also seen him play kind of C.J. Gardner Johnson's role right when C.J. was out on injured reserve for three games this season. We saw him and Bradley Roby and even Paulson Adebo get some snaps in the slot that way when uh, Malcolm Jenkins was out on the COVID-19 list just a week the week before last. P.J. Williams was playing that role in the in the strong safety, playing in the box, playing as a split safety, finding all those roles. And then you had this pass game up against the Carolina Panthers where you have Robbie Anderson and D.J. Moore and Sam Darnold, who loves to throw the ball and the Carolina Panthers, who didn't have a run game beyond the first two drives and couldn't really go to the outlet in the backfield after the first couple of drives. And so this was a team that's kind of built to attack deep, right? They brought in Joe Brady so that they could bring that national championship undefeated 2019 LSU offense to the NFL. And obviously that didn't work out. Joe Brady doesn't have a job in the NFL anymore, but that was the intent of this offense was to attack deep. They even brought in Terrace Marshall from LSU 
to make sure that they were able to do that. And so you have that capacity, you have that intent for the offense to be that, to be that guy. And they weren't able to be even with PJ Williams back there in place of Marcus Williams. And then PJ Williams turns around and also gets the, the sack and the strip sack on the, on, on Sam Darnold rushing from the slot, right? So the rotation, the ability to be able to contribute from multiple different areas and do everything that he does, even though he had to leave the game with injury. And I thought Jeff Heath also played well. He also had a sack, right? Credited with a sack for running Sam Darnold out of bounds. He also played well, right? But PJ Williams is somebody to really watch over the course of this offseason because we kind of talked about it last year that PJ Williams might earn himself some money somewhere else that really values what it is that he can do as a safety in particular. That could happen this year, right? But the Saints they're going to want to keep P.J. Williams around because they love what he does. And I think P.J. Williams would want to stick around, right? Not a lot of teams give you the ability to be able to rejuvenate your career in six different positions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not a lot of teams really foster that in a player, right? The, uh, the idea of being multiple, the idea of being versatile, learning as many positions, contributing from a bunch of different places. Sometimes you get into those defenses that say, no, you have a role and we want you to serve that role. And that's fine. That's, that's okay. That's not a bad approach. That's just not the Saints approach. The Saints approach is be multiple, be versatile, because that means that we sign you to one contract, we being the New Orleans Saints in this instance, right? I'm playing the role of Mickey Loomis here. PJ, I get to sign you to one contract, but you get to serve four different roles on my defense, and therefore, I ain't got to go sign all that depth because I have you. So that's the big thing, right? Or I don't have to put as much of a focus on depth there. I don't have to get four players. I can get two more players or one more player and feel pretty good because I know PJ has my back and I can throw him in in all these different places, right? So that's the big piece when it comes to PJ Williams. Uh, Deuce Windham in Hudak um, Confessional on Tuesday night said it best. He is the epitome of depth. That's what he is. He is exactly the sort of gold standard of depth because of what you're able to do with him. And it's so funny because we had conversations about PJ Williams just three, four years ago, him being the guy that like, oh, well, maybe he doesn't really make it back on this team. Maybe he doesn't get that next contract, blah, blah, blah. And now here we are because of his pragmatism, because of his wherewithal and because of his understanding of the game and his ability to evolve with the game and be versatile. Now we're like, hey, hold up. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. don't let PJ go nowhere. Don't let him get up out of here with nothing, especially when you're already in a position to where you could be without Marcus Williams this offseason, which I still think is priority number one, should be priority number one for New Orleans, considering that you've already got maybe a little bit of a boilerplate of a contract for him because you were trying to get him extended before the franchise tag deadline anyway. So like things are already kind of in place there, which is easier to make that priority number one. So I think that that becomes the deal. But then knowing that you've also got PJ Williams back there, knowing Malcolm Jenkins maybe has another year or two you know, left before he decides to hang, hang up the cleats, then all of a sudden PJ Williams gains a ton more value, especially if you get him down on a multi-year contract. So just a shout out to, to PJ Williams and being able to uh, do everything that he's done to continuously revitalize his, his career. Um, and what that means for, for the New Orleans Saints. And so that's one question we're going to face over the course of the offseason that we'll continuously talk about. But we have some questions ahead of this weekend's game before the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. So is this going to be Taysom's last chance to really show that he deserves an opportunity this offseason? What's going to happen with Teron Armstead, Ryan Ramchek? We're going to get to those questions and more as we get to our five questions ahead of this game here in just a moment on today's episode of Locked on Saints. But first, I want to tell you about our favorite app here 
on the Locked On Podcast Network. I don't know how people don't use this app. It's free, it's simple, it's easy, and it gives you something that just really makes you feel like you're cheating the system. It's get upside, right? You have so much power with this app, and it's awesome because it saves you up to 25 cents per gallon at select gas stations. Yeah, so if your gas station, let's say you're on the West Coast and your gas station is charging you $4.99 per gallon to fill up, you can drop that down to down 25 cents to get around what, $4.74? I'll take that. Take that five days out of the week, seven days out of the week, 24 hours a day, ain't no problem. But it gets even better than that because when you download it and you uh, you get it for the first time, use the promo code TOUCHDOWN, it's gonna give you a 25 cent bonus on top of that. And then all of a sudden, your first fill up is 50 cents off per gallon or up to. So then you end up getting that $4.99 all the way down to like $4.49 for that first fill up per gallon. So go and save yourself some money. Some folks are getting $200, $300 back um, in cash because basically the the money that you save goes into an account and then you can get it paid out directly to your bank account or you can do it through PayPal. You can even do through gift cards from Amazon and other brands as well. Lots of different ways to do it. So go and check it out. Don't miss out. Get upside the app. Don't forget to use that promo code touchdown so you can start off with 50 cents per gallon back on your first fill up. Let's get it, Houdat Nation, wrapping up today's episode of Locked on Saints with our five questions ahead of the Saints matching up with the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta to close out the season, hoping to keep their playoff hopes alive. We have five questions ahead of that. I do this piece every week over at Canal Street Chronicles, so I thought I would bring it in here without our WWL friends uh, able to come through. I thought, oh, this could be a fun thing to to discuss on the show as well. So let's start off with, with point number one here, and I, I tease it uh, just a moment ago. Is this going to be Taysom Hill's last opportunity to really prove that he still deserves an opportunity to compete for the quarterback position next offseason, right? This could end up being the last opportunity for him to really do that. I think he's done it, right? I Look, I, I think Taysom Hill should still be a part of the conversation at quarterback. If they bring back Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston should still very much be a part of the, the, the conversation at quarterback. I, I think it, there should be a competition, right? Unless you land Russell Wilson, unless you land, you know, some starter or something like that that makes sense that's like no that's probably the guy they went out and traded draft capital for him and all this other stuff unless that's the case these guys deserve to both have a run at this quarterback position again next season and look i've given Taysom hill a ton of credit for what he's been able to do over the course of these last few games he's winning games right now and the defense is winning games with him at the helm however it is that you want to look at it right either he's winning games or he's not losing games it's one of the two and that's great and it's great I, do i think that he's the quarterback of the future for new orleans and that he's proven that no not at all and so I think that he has an opportunity here up against Atlanta in, in what could be the last game of the season, right? Because the Saints could potentially win this game or lose this game and then not move on to the playoffs if, let's say, San Francisco beats Los Angeles, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. But this could be Taysom Hill's last chance of the season to really show, hey, don't forget about me when that offseason quarterback conversation is happening. So is this going to be his last chance? We'll find out. Uh, will Tron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek be back? That's a big question <laughs> going into this week. Ryan Ramchek has missed the last seven games. He's still on the COVID reserve list, at least at the time that I'm recording this. He went on the reserve list. I think it was Christmas Eve, December 24th, or it was a day after Christmas, December 26th, one of the two. But either way, he should be off the list by now. So it's it's kind of a curious thing to see that he he isn't. So he hasn't been activated from that COVID reserve list. We'll see if he is today and what that means for his practice day, things like that later on tonight when we get the uh, the injury report. Teron Armstead, 
fingers are crossed that he's going to be able to at least get back out there for this game. It would be great to have him in the playoffs if the Saints can get ahead to the playoffs. So I can understand maybe saying, well, do you really need him? I, I could understand maybe the weighing the argument here up against Atlanta's defensive line and kind of saying, well, let's just wait it out and see if we get in the playoffs and he plays. If he doesn't, then he, that, that's fine. But I, so I can see that going either way, but certainly you want to have these offensive linemen back along with Eric McCoy, who, by the way, is already activated from the COVID-19 reserve list, along with Marcus Williams. So if you're not seeing news about them coming off the list, it's because they technically came off the list on Saturday, which gave them an opportunity to test negative and get into the game on Sunday since they can't be activated, since they couldn't be activated on Sunday. So they, they're already activated. They're already back on the active roster. Now it's just about, are they healthy enough to get on the field and play? And they should be. So we'll learn more about that. But don't worry if you're not seeing those two, Eric McCoy and Marcus Williams, coming off that COVID reserve list just yet. But practice report will come out later on today. Tron Armstead, Eric McCoy, uh, Marcus Williams, three names to definitely watch out for there and see if they're they're listed and good to go. And then Ryan Ramchick, if his name pops up there, then you know that he's come off the COVID-19 reserve list. And then you're watching his name to see if he's going to be available this weekend as well. All right, next is, uh, can the Saints put together, um, or sorry, can the Saints defense put together a, a near-perfect game? Because they might have to in this one. They put together a near-perfect game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The one time that you didn't see them come through near perfect with a couple of defensive penalties that you saw late in the game, in the game to where Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were driving a little bit, and then it, it ended up being basically perfect because C.J. Gardner-Johnson got the interception and coverage and Scotty Miller uh, on the out route there, and then that ended up being fine. And you saw something similar against the Carolina Panthers to where you know Chauncey Gardner-Johnson got that interception. You had the hands-to-the-face penalty that erased kind of the progress of getting the sack that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson did on Sam Darnold, hands the face penalty on Paulson Adebo, and then CJ ends up with the interception later on anyway. So you want to play a near-perfect game in order to be able to shut out some of these things. So you saw that in the second half against Carolina. You saw that the entire game against the Tampa Buccaneers. Still one of my favorite games. I've rewatched that game several times because of how great that game was defensively. Can the Saints do that again against a talented Atlanta Falcons offense? Kyle Pitts has over 1,000 yards, first tight end to do that since Mike Ditka did it. Um, but no, or first rookie tied in to do that. Uh, only one touchdown. Cordell Patterson, on the other hand, is the player to really, really watch. Can the Saints limit him? So they'll need to play a near perfect game to keep the the high level production in terms of yardage that Atlanta can put up, which can extend drives and put that Saints offense in a precarious position if they're having trouble moving the ball, which is probably a sixth question to add in all of this. Can the New Orleans Saints offense move the ball? But more importantly for me, number four, can Cam Jordan extend his Matt Ryan sack record? Remember, he's got 22 career sacks on Matt Ryan, more than any defender has sacks on an individual quarterback in NFL history. Can he extend that and get beyond that 11 and a half sack season that he's already put together with seven and a half sacks over the course of the last three games? Cam Jordan's been outstanding and shout out to him for getting NFC Defensive Player of the Week for the second time in three weeks. Much deserved, homie. And then the last one here, number five. Can the Los Angeles Rams knock off the San Francisco 49ers? Because if they can't, then it doesn't matter what the, uh, what the result of this New Orleans Saints and Atlanta Falcons game is, unfortunately. So maybe it's not the New Orleans Saints game that we're asking a question about, but it's developments that are going to be taking place at the same time as the New Orleans Saints game, because it will be 325 Eastern, excuse me, 325 Central time that the Saints and Falcons will be playing as well as the Rams and 49ers, as well as the uh, Seahawks and Arizona Cardinals. So everything that means something in the NFC is happening at the same time, effectively, um, when it comes to the Saints playoff run. So that will be another big thing to keep an eye out on. You're watching the, the Saints and Falcons with this eye. With this eye, you're watching the Los Angeles Rams and the 49ers, and you're hoping for a Saints win over here, and you're hoping for a Rams win over here. Can both teams get it done?
We get it done here at Locked on Saints every single Monday through Friday. Thank you so much, as always, for making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day. Tomorrow's crossover Thursday, we'll have Aaron Freeman of Locked on Falcons coming through to help prove this one. Do the Atlanta Falcons even have anything to fight for? Can they just get out of the way, please? We'll talk about that and much more uh, in this one as the New Orleans Saints try to keep their playoff hopes alive, make it nine and eight and a seventh seed in the NFC. We'll see if they can get it done, but we got lots more to talk about until we get there because Friday we'll also build the game plan for them as well. We were successful in our game plan last week. Let's see what happens with what we build this week. And as always, for your second listen of the day, make sure you go and check out Locked on Bets. Win yourself some money with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. And as always, y'all, for everything you need on your New Orleans Saints in between these episodes, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. And trust you, that nation. I'll holla at you.